Well, good morning once again, and thank you again for joining us. Uh, as usual, I have in the room with me Jess, who is my wife. I don't know if, did you, did you mention that? I don't think she mentioned that, but Jess is my wife. Uh, we do have the same last name. That might tip you off if you didn't already know it. And Marie uh, is also in the room. And so they're on the comments. And so uh, feel free to interact as we're going through today. We, we do want this to be conversational, and you might hear from them as well. They actually... Uh, they can get picked up on this mic, as I understand it, so if they laugh extra hard or whatever. Um, it's been an interesting weekend for me already. Um, not only do we have church and now we're doing the streaming and we're getting used to this sort of new normal for us, uh, but I also did a wedding yesterday um, for Anthony and Tiffany, now Clements. So Anthony and Tiffany Clements, and I don't know if they're on the comments this morning. They said they might be because originally they had planned on having a big wedding and then going on their honeymoon, I believe, to Disney World. Um, that didn't work out. And so they're doing a stay moon. Is that a thing? Hey, whatever. A stay moon? Yeah. So they said they might be on this morning. So I don't know if they are or not, but I wouldn't blame them if they weren't. Yesterday was was a big day. And I guess... Um, so it was a small ceremony. They streamed it live onto the, the YouTubes and such. And uh, so that was a, a, a new and interesting thing to do. But uh, maybe it just put Jess in uh, a romantic mood last night because, no, <laughs> because, because clearly she wanted to have like a stay home date with me. So that's what we did last night for dinner. We went and got takeout from the one and only Mambo Grill. And by the way, if you don't know the Mambo Grill, you need to know the Mambo Grill. It's Cuban food in Salisbury. It's epic. It's legendary. And yes, you can call and order and go. They will bring it out to your car. And so we, we did a little date last night. And for us, that means Mambo Grill. And um, somebody, somebody put something really funny in the comments, didn't they? Thomas wrote, he needs a PG warning. Okay. <laughs> Thomas said he needs a PG warning. All right. Uh, I don't know why Mambo Grill would be PG, but anyway, um, so for us, it, it was it was food, it was Cuban food and HGTV. So that was our little date. But but as we were sitting there and enjoying our, our time together and trying to keep the kids away from us, um, Jess looked at me and she said, "Man, wouldn't it be terrible if you were quarantined with people you didn't like?" It's a good thing. She said, it's a good thing that we like each other so much. Because <laughs> how horrible would it be to be quarantined with people you don't like? And I think I, it really got me thinking about what we were going to talk about today. Because it is a difficult thing when two people that are very different from each other or that don't like each other are put together. And what we get into in the book of Galatians is exactly that thing happening in the early church. This is something they were facing and facing in a big way. Now, last week we talked about the idea of the law that the Jews had to follow for thousands of years and that they thought errantly, but they thought that it was their observance of the law that would mean that they were saved. But it wasn't that. It was actually their faith and belief in God through it, their faith and belief in the coming Messiah. And now we have the Messiah, Jesus, and so salvation is based on faith and belief in him. So we don't need the law anymore. And that was a really hard thing for them to get their mind wrapped around. But along with that came something else, something very significant. Because, as I said, for thousands of years, God's chosen people were the Jews, the nation of Israel. And they had their law that they followed. And yes, other people could come in from the outside and could become a part of that. They would have to become Jewish in order to do that, essentially. And it happened very rarely. But they could. Well, now that the law is 
no longer in place the way that it was, all of a sudden we start hearing, we see it in Jesus' ministry, and we start hearing from people like Peter and people like Paul, these pillars of the church, the early church, that now salvation is not just for the Jews. Now anybody can respond to this. And you have to imagine you've got this group of people, the, the Jewish, now Jewish even, who are Jewish believers. They believe in Jesus, but they're Jewish by heritage or by, by uh, race. And so they all of a sudden have to accept or are being told they're supposed to accept all of these people that have always been outsiders. These people that they hated, that they, that they looked down on, that weren't, weren't a part of their insider group. Now, all of a sudden, all these outsiders are allowed to come in. That was a hard pill to swallow for them. It was very difficult for them to get their head wrapped around that, which is why a lot of the New Testament has to do with helping them to grasp that and then to accept it. So you, you've got this, one of, the, one of the first key things. Well, I guess... First, you have Jesus in his ministry, and you see that Jesus did ministry not just to Jewish people. So Jesus was opening the door. When he spent time, if you remember from our series that we just finished on the book of John, there were several cases there where Jesus dealt with people that weren't Jewish, like um, the Samaritan woman at the well. He spent time with her. He shouldn't have talked to her, culturally speaking. He shouldn't have spent time with her, but he did. So Jesus began opening this door. Then you have this scene that's that's uh, painted for us in the book of Acts, where Peter, who is basically leading the church uh, as, a, as, a, as a head at this point, um, and he has a dream. And in that dream, something like a sheet, it's not a sheet, but something like a sheet comes down and on it are all kinds of unclean things, a.k.a. bacon. Right. Okay, So a sheet pan of bacon comes down out of heaven, <laughs> more or less, okay? A medium bacon, not crispy, but not flabby, medium, the way it properly cooked, comes down out of heaven, and God, or the voice that, that Peter hears says, take, kill, and eat. So that maybe the bacon isn't prepared yet. Um, but take, kill, and eat. And Peter's like, I can't, it's unclean. And the voice says, no, do it. And he, he sees this a couple of times. And so then he wakes up and he knows that that the the gospel, the good news of salvation is for more than just the Jewish people. And they don't have to observe the law as they had always observed the law. This was a big question that was happening. Then this guy named Paul shows up on the scene. Well, his name is Saul. And Saul is a Roman citizen by birth, but he grows up in the Jewish tradition of uh, the Pharisees. And he, it says that he is highly zealous. The Pharisees are the religious leaders. They're experts in the law. They hold people to the law. And those that were considered zealous, the, later it becomes an actual like sect of the Pharisees, the zealots. But he's not, he's not one of those. That's not around yet. But it says he's very zealous. And what they mean by that is that Paul is willing to use physical force to enforce the law. So he is willing to be violent to, to people who break the law. And we know this is true about him because uh, he is there when Stephen, one of the, uh, one of the early church leaders and the, the first uh, uh, deacon, I suppose, is, is the term. Uh, when Stephen is stoned, Paul or Saul is there, okay, and in approving of it. He was fine with that happening. He was so zealous for the law, all right, and so... Paul or Saul, I'm, I, I keep using those, and, and I do want to make, well, I'll make a point. 
Um, people have, I've heard many people say before, and I used to also believe that God, when God converted Paul, that God changed his name from Saul to Paul. It's yeah, not actually, right? You, you've heard that? Yeah. Maybe some of you have heard that. It's all, <laughs> Jess said it's what I currently believe and I'm about to be wrong. Right. So that's not true. Um, so there's actually a spot and a somewhat seemingly arbitrary spot in, our, in Acts where after Saul has been converted to Christianity, the way that happens is that he is walking, he is going to persecute Christians, and on his way to the town he's going to, he sees a blinding light and he hears a voice and everybody who's around him sees the light but doesn't hear the voice. And Paul says, who are you? And he says, it is I, Jesus, who you persecute. And so Paul is having, Saul, Paul, is having a personal experience with Jesus, a conversion experience. He's then blinded. He has to go to the town, and then he ultimately receives his sight. And then he goes and spends three years studying in Arabia and Damascus before he ultimately um, begins his ministry. But he gets converted, and he's continued to be called Saul through Acts. And then at some point in Acts, Luke, who wrote it, decides to tell us, he says, Saul who was also called Paul. And then for the rest of Acts, he calls him Paul. So there is no reason for the name change other than the fact that Paul went by both. So, uh, you know, you might, you might have something to add to it. I know that's a little anticlimactic. Um, it, it, it feels better to believe that God changed his name. Yeah, like God changed his identity, and so he changed his name, and boy, that would preach really well, and it has preached really, really well for years and years and years. It's just not true. So anyway, so you call him Saul, you call him Paul. It's, it's relatively interchangeable, but for the most part, we call him Paul, which is why that's probably what I'm going to call him. But Paul, he goes, like I said, to Arabia, which is on the east side of the Jordan River, and he spends time there and in Damascus for three years, developing his understanding of the gospel in the absence of the apostles. So he doesn't go to Jerusalem. He spends three years in, in the way that he lays this out in his letters. He basically says, I spent three years learning from Jesus directly, studying the scriptures hearing from the Spirit, hearing from Jesus. He spends three years developing his theology, his understanding of salvation, his doctrine. Just like the disciples spent three years with Jesus, learning directly from him and developing their understanding. Then after those three years are up, Paul goes to Jerusalem where the pillars are, Peter, and James, and John, and, and all of these, and they compare notes and what they find out is that their understanding of salvation and theology and doctrine is identical, which is pretty amazing when you think about it, that they learn from Jesus. And then Paul goes off and learns from Jesus in a different place, essentially. They come back together and they believe the same thing. There's some confirmation happening there. It's a little bit like if you were doing a scientific experiment and one person went and did the, the experiment and another person went and did the ex experiment. When you came back together, if your results were identical, that would confirm the result that you got. And so there's confirmation in what they believe in the doctrine that's been developed here. And one of the biggest pieces of this that they agree on is the fact that salvation is no longer just for the Jews. 
it is for Jews and Gentiles. And Gentiles is the term that they use for anybody who's not Jewish. So basically what we're saying is it's now for everyone. And there's a lot of debate. And there was a lot of debate at the time about it and about what that meant. So some people's response was, yeah, yeah, okay, that's kind of always been the case. Gentiles could become a part of the chosen people of God, but they would have to become Jewish first. They would have to be circumcised. That's one of the things that you see. That's what the, the you know sort of the mark. Um, and so they would have to be circumcised. They would have to follow all the laws. And it happened very rarely, but it could happen. And so people were saying, okay, I can get my head wrapped around this, but what has to happen, I guess, is that now if all these Gentiles want to be saved, well, they all have to become Jewish. They have to get circumcised and they have to start following the prayer times and they have to start doing all the things that we've always had to do. It's only fair that if they're going to be a part of what we're doing, they have to become like us. It created a huge disturbance within the church. And so Paul is dealing with this as we read in Galatians. He is dealing with this issue and trying to set things straight. And so what we're going to do is go to Galatians chapter 2. And Paul is talking about when he went uh, to Jerusalem. He finally, he left Arabia and he left, you know, after his three years, he goes to Jerusalem where they, they compare notes. And Paul has Gentiles with him. He has Gentiles on his team in his entourage when he arrives in Jerusalem. Uh, namely, he's going to talk about Titus right, who actually has an, a, a book in the Bible named for him. And Titus is a Gentile. And he's been doing ministry with Paul and learning with Paul. And he's coming to town with Paul. And people try to take Titus. They try to tell him, these really big, important people tell him, Titus, you, if you really want to be saved, then you have to become Jewish like we are. So let's jump in uh, Galatians chapter 2 in verse 3. So that pressure was put on, but then Paul says this in verse 3, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So Titus wasn't buying it. He wasn't going to do it. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. So he said these people came to them with an ulterior motive of trying to take this message of freedom that they had, freedom from the law and the gospel to all people, and they were trying to pull them back into the old way. Number five, or verse five, to whom we did not yield submission for even an hour. I love Paul, how strong he is. Not even a minute, not a second, not an hour. We didn't believe him. We didn't buy into it. It's not right. And I love this phrasing that he uses, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Paul says, we held our ground so that the truth was not tainted. He's saying very clearly that the truth of the gospel, and this is the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross to pay for our sins, that he rose again, and that salvation comes only by trusting in him for it by faith in Jesus, not by observing any other rule. This, we talked at length about this last week. So if you want more on that and you didn't, you didn't see our message last week, make sure you catch that. All right, it's on the internet, so it's here forever. Uh, so that that truth is not tainted. We are not going to go back to what once was. 
We are not going to be drawn back. And people even today, we talked about this last week, people even today are drawn back into rule following for salvation. It's called legalism. Drawn back into, and he said, we will, he is saying it is in opposition to the truth of the gospel. It is the opposite of what Jesus is offering to us. Okay, so we should not be drawn back. And he says, we were not drawn back. But you understand what what is being created, and this is what I want to focus on today. What's being created here is a great divide within the church. As they're trying to bring two people groups together, or it's more than two people groups, but in essence, when we think about Jews and Gentiles, bringing them together and changing the rules. And that is very difficult, very difficult for them to do. All right, so he said, we were not going to do it. Um, Verse 6. But from those who seemed to be something, the wording here is really interesting to me. It's one of those things where I love the way he says this. For the people who seemed to be something, the people who are apparently of importance or people held in high regard, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. All right, listen, Paul is not... Paul is not fangirling on the, on the apostles when he gets to Jerusalem. Basically what he's saying is, hey, listen, I met Jesus and Jesus taught me the truth and I got here and people, there were people there that were trying to get me off of the truth and I wasn't going to listen no matter what their position was, no matter how important they may have seemed to be, no matter what, how people may have lifted them up. I know the truth and I'm not going to get thrown off of that. They are not better than me. They are not higher than me. They do not have more truth than I have. God has given it to me. I'm confident in it. And so whatever they are, they are. It's just like, it's like the ultimate confident statement about getting there. He just wanted to make it clear, I believe, that that he was not going to be persuaded by people's positions or influence, but that he was going to stick to what he knew to be true. And he was going to follow through with that. All right, but on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, As the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the uh, uh, he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. So he's saying when they saw that I had a ministry to people who were Gentiles, and and God was giving them the Spirit, God was confirming their salvation, and he was doing the same thing for the, the Jewish believers, for Peter. They saw that it was the same. Verse 9, And when James, Cephas, uh, Cephas is Peter, when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, <laughs> again, seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas uh, the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So when they saw the power of Paul's ministry, they said, okay, you focus on them. You go do that. We will focus here. I think it's a really cool moment where they were like, yeah, they looked at at Paul and Barnabas's ministry and they said, that's legit. I can tell that's legit. And so you guys go and do that and we will do this. And they supported them in that. Now it created a huge uproar. 
Huge uproar because all these people who were trying to mess things up and were trying to take people back to the law, uh, they were not happy about this. And so created this big question within the church. Which is it? Can anybody just come into this by faith, no matter what their background is? Or do we have to follow the rules? Do they have to become like the Jewish people? It created such a problem that finally they all decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to powwow. We're gonna, it's family meeting time. There's enough misinformation out there. People want to know what we think about this. We got to make a statement. You know, anytime there's a controversial issue going on in the world, the people in positions of power feel like they need to make a statement to clear up the confusion. No, here's the deal. Here's what we believe. Let's be clear about this so that there is no question anymore. So that when these people come in that are saying different things and are trying to distort the truth and serve their own agendas, that we can shut that down with the official statement from the powers that be, so to speak. And so they held something called the Jerusalem Council, where they had to set this straight on who was allowed in and what were the rules for entry in a way. So uh, they decided to set that up. Uh, you can read about it in Acts chapter 15, and we'll read pieces of it here, but um, this is how it all sets up in verses 1 and 2. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, There, so we talk about this often, but there are certain times in Scripture where they're massive understatements. Like a really nice, kind way of saying chaos ensued. <laughs> that uh, when it says, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension or dispute. What it means is an argument. Now, I don't know how far that went, believe that Paul was drastically changed by his encounter with Jesus in the three years he spent preparing for ministry. I also know that Paul was kind of a violent dude before that. So I'm not saying they got into a physical altercation, but I surely know that Paul was an aggressive type of person. He was very direct. And so when people were coming down and were teaching this, he stood right up to their face to dispute it with them. And they determined, I'm continuing reading in the middle of verse 2, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. They said, you know what? Let's go settle this once and for all. Let's go to Jerusalem and see what Peter and all of them have to say about this. So they do. Now in verse 6. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute... Again, they're arguing over this. Then nobody is, I mean, they're, they're struggling to understand what all this means. And, and I'm sure they're working through like we would in the situation. You have the, like the universal principles that we need to consider, but then you have practical matters you have to think about too. And so I'm sure they're working through all of this stuff. Peter rose up. Peter's always the one to speak up, isn't he? Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's saying, I know, you know we opened this door. You know I opened this door to the gospel to the Gentiles. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. 
You know they received the Spirit the same way we received the Spirit, right? In verse 9, And made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Remember, even the Jews, they were not purified by observance of the law. They were, they were purified by faith. And he's saying, it's the same. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? See, one of the purposes of the law was to show us that we couldn't keep it. Peter's saying, we couldn't keep the law. My dad couldn't keep the law. My grandfather couldn't keep the law. His father couldn't keep the law. So why are we taking the law and putting it on their shoulders when it's not even the law that leads to salvation? 11, but we believe, and here's the statement, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. The statement that they make is, let's be clear. The Gentiles are to be saved in the same way we are. And we weren't saved by the law to begin with, and now we know we are not saved by the observance of the law today. So neither are they saved by the observance of the law. Peter is saying the same thing that Paul says, the same thing that we see consistently through the scripture, we are all the same. And we are saved in the same way, regardless of what our background is, regardless of what our race is, regardless of what our previous religion is, regardless of how good a life we have lived or how bad a life we have lived, regardless of what kind of music we listen to or what kind of clothes we wear or how we talk or how we think. We are all the same. We are all saved in the same way. And it is by faith in Jesus Christ. That was their conclusion. No extra qualifications needed. No need to become a Jew in order to be saved. And it's open to everyone. And of course, that was really hard for them to grasp. Now it's, it's much easier, I think, for us to say than it is certainly easier for us to say because we're living in the, in the wake of it now. But for them to be on the front edge of that and to now change fundamentally the way that they think about faith and their relationship with God, and not only their relationship with God, but now to fundamentally change the way that I think about all of these other people out here is a very difficult thing. But it is necessary for progress. I can't, you know, they all knew the rules. They thought they knew the rules. And now all the rules, you see, like, all the rules feel like they're going out the window. Everything that I thought I knew is now changing. And it's a hard thing to grasp. You know, it, it, I can't help but think about other times in our history where we've had to come to new understandings of people in the way that we relate to them and the difficulty that's created as changes happen, movements have happened. Think about the women's, right, women's rights movement. You grew up your whole life believing that women didn't have rights and that they, they couldn't vote and they couldn't do these, they couldn't participate in certain things. And that was, your, that was your norm and that's what you thought was right and it's what you thought was normal. And then one day someone gets up there and says, truthfully, women are equal with men. Hey, women are equal with men. You like that. I like that too, all right? They are deserving of the same rights. And for us, that's a no-brainer, right? right? For us now, easy. Of course, 
obviously. Why did they have such a hard time with this? But put yourself in their shoes for a second. When you've lived understanding people a certain way, and now people are saying, you need to fundamentally change the way that you think about women. That's a hard thing to get over. Because we have, in situations like that, we have prejudices. We prejudge groups of people and make determinations. Think about the civil rights movement. We say now people of all races are of, of equal value and need to be in our, in our culture, in our society. And we need to think about people that way. And of course, now we say, yes, of course, obviously. What difference does it make, you know? What difference does it make that what the color of your skin is or where your what your ethnicity is or where you come from in the world? We are all value, equally valuable and we all have a place and we all have a purpose. And obviously now we say, of course, but you put yourself in the position of people then, which it's easy to judge people then, of course, but when you've seen people a certain way or thought of the world in a certain way your entire life, to, to drastically change that all of a sudden is not an easy, it's not an easy thing. Because we have all of these prejudices in place and it takes time and education. It takes the changing of hearts and, and meeting individual people instead of just categorizing people as a group, Gentiles or whatever it may be. Those prejudices are really easy to hang on to. They're easy to hang on to because in some way, prejudice, having prejudice makes life feel easier. It's easier if I don't have to deal with people who are different from me, if I can just categorize them and push them to the side. It's easier on me if I don't have to deal with the issues that, that, that occur within that group of people, if I can minimize them and, and I can just live my life as it is. To, ju- to judge them, to not interact with them, it's easier. Prejudice also comes from the fact that prejudice makes us feel special. Because if I can say that I'm better or I have rights that you don't have, that I'm in and you're out, what it does is it places me up on my own pedestal and makes me feel more powerful, makes me feel more special. And when you then tell me, no, these people are equal with me, I feel like in some way I have to give up some of my specialness and some of my power, which isn't even true. But that's the lie that we believe. And so you put yourself in the mind right now of the people who are Jewish believers who are now being told, A, you don't have to keep all the rules that you thought you had to keep before in order to be saved. You were never saved by that anyway. You were saved by faith in the coming Messiah. Now Jesus is here and salvation comes by faith in the Messiah that we know and we see. And oh, by the way, all of these people that you've always written off, now they are going to become a part of the church with you. Very difficult for people to wrap their mind around. But what kept them from wrapping their mind around it? Their own comfort and their own pride. So it was going to take time and it was going to be messy, but ultimately they had to get over it. And and frankly, the same things can exist in the church today. In, In some cases, it could be race or it could be gender it could be um, background it could be someone's rap sheet <laughs> where where someone in the church says no you don't belong here you don't belong here because you don't talk the right way or because you don't think the right way or because you don't dress the right way you don't belong here because you don't listen to the right kind of music or you don't come from the right neighborhood or cuz your skin is the wrong color or cuz your your religious background isn't what we would want it to be And it all goes back to that issue of legalism that we were talking about. And you need to know it's not true. We need to be very careful of pedestal Christianity. 
where Christians, because of their own fear or because of their own pride, put themselves up on a pedestal and say, I'm in and you're out. And unless you can get on my level, you cannot be in. That is pride. It's pedestal Christianity. We need to be very careful of it. When it exists within the church, it creates the comparison trap where I'm comparing myself to other people and either elevating myself because I think that I'm better than they are or whether I am lowering myself because I feel like I'm supposed to be on the level they're on and I'll never get there. And it's one of the reasons that a lot of people don't believe the gospel is because they've been sold a false gospel with the pedestal Christianity and the comparison trap and because There have been people up on that pedestal that say, you can't be saved unless you get to this level where I am, whether they said it or whether we put that on them. And so people don't accept Christ because they think they're not good enough or because they don't have the right kind of clothes or they don't come from the right family or they don't know enough about the Bible or they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't. And you need to hear this. None of that matters. There is one thing that matters. And it is Jesus and faith in him. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't lifestyle things that God might want to work on in our life after we get saved. It doesn't mean that there aren't changes that God wants to make in our lives. I guarantee you there are a million changes that God wants to make in your life. And there are a million changes he wants to make in my life. So, hey, don't compare yourself to me, by the way. And I won't compare myself to you. He's got my journey in front of me and he's got your journey in front of you. But they all start at the same place. Faith in Jesus for anyone, anyone who simply believes in him and trusts him for salvation. Everyone, as we think about, last week we talked about the fire pit and that the, the gospel, the good news, the, is the faith is the center of the fire pit. And this is a simple message, but it's so important. Everyone is welcome at the fire pit of faith. Everyone is welcome at the fire pit of faith. And if you've been telling yourself that you're not good enough or that you're not ready, you've been lying to yourself or someone's been lying to you. If someone has been telling you that you're not good enough, that you have to change things first, they are lying to you. And I don't know why. Maybe it's naive. Maybe it's intentional. But the truth is, anyone, anyone, anyone can put their faith in Jesus Christ and become a child of God. And then he's got a journey he wants each of us to walk that has a lot of common things between us, but also has individual things for us. It's not baptism. It's not changing your lifestyle. It's not getting clean. It's not making past wrongs right. It's not dressing in a particular way or listening to a specific kind of music. It's nothing other than faith in Jesus' sacrifice for you. And that's available to every single person who's watching this today. Paul puts it this way as he's speaking to the Galatians and trying to get this point across home, across to them. Because if you remember from our historical context we talked about last week, Galatia, they're Gentiles. They're the, the, the Gauls who uh, have attacked Rome and, and who are, uh, have pagan backgrounds and were involved in all kinds of things with their guilds and their societies where they would offer foods, they would sacrifice food and give it to idols, and they would involve in all kinds of sexual immorality. PG-13 warning, Thomas. Uh, is it too late? I should do the warning i got to do the warning before. So they're involved in all of this kind of stuff, all these pagan rituals. And so Paul needs them to know 
that they don't have to get all that cleaned up, but that they need to put their faith in Jesus and that that's available to them. Although at the Jerusalem Council, they did also answer, they did also say in their answer, and if you read Acts 15, you're going to see this, they said, we should not make it hard for those Gentiles who are coming to faith, that it's simply belief, but also instruct them not to eat food sacrificed to idols and to abstain from sexual immorality and everything. That's dealing with their whole culture that they're coming out of. So they're not saying that that's a part of salvation, but saying, hey, salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ and it's available to you, but hey, that's going to be the stuff you're going to have to work on, okay, in order to keep your relationship with God healthy. So speaking to that culture, this is what Paul says. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 28. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That's it. Not through becoming a Jew, not through following the law. You are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. All of those barriers, all of those lines that had existed were down. And now we all sit on level ground around the same fire pit of faith. We are one. And that's an important message. It's an important message for those of you who feel like you are outsiders looking in. And you feel like you got to do something, you got to change something. There's some step you need to take before you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And I say no. Step in by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. It's an important message for those of us who are on the inside who look out. And we see people standing around the outside who need to be around the fire with us. And in some cases, we make judgments about them and don't invite them into the fire because we think, well, they have to get this sorted out first. They need to make this change first. When they get their act together, then I'll invite them in. Then I'll share my faith with them. Then I'll invite them to church. Then I'll send them the stream link. Then I will do it. We can easily, as insiders looking out, put requirements on people that should not be there. And so it's an important message for us as well. We are not to make judgments about who is or is not deserving of salvation. That judgment has already been made by God. And the answer is everyone. Everyone can have it. Reading through this and talking through this, my mind was drawn to another letter that Paul wrote. He wrote it to the Ephesians. And the the city of Ephesus was fairly similar to the churches in the area of Galatia in that it was a melting pot of lots of different societies and so lots of different traditions and a lot of question uh, very similar to what he was dealing with in Galatia. And in fact, uh, our mission statement as a church, know God, find hope, live free, and do good, comes out of Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 because I think that our culture is so similar to Ephesian culture. And so what God says to them, I believe he says to us as well. And so my mind was drawn immediately to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm so familiar with it because of what it means to our church. And I want to read it to you. And I just want you to hear Paul's heart to the early church. And I want you to hear it today to our church. 
Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, and I'm, and I'm going to add this, um, this message that the, the gospel, the good news of salvation is not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile, means the world to me because I'm not Jewish. So, so if, they had, if they had come together in the early church and they had decided, no, this is just for Jews, I might not have ever heard. Or even if I had heard, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been led to believe that I could accept. So I'm so thankful that God led them to this conclusion and that people like Paul were so resolute in their teaching that they were not going to bow to the pressure of the important people around them who were telling them otherwise. And they held the integrity and the truth of the gospel. Paul said, remember in Galatians, he said to protect the truth of the gospel for you, for the Galatians. But then the Galatians and then the next and then the next and then the next and the next and the next and then for me. So that the, the truth was protected for me so that I knew that I could be saved simply by putting my faith in Jesus Christ. And then I could tell you that you can be saved simply by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made by the flesh or made in flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ. So before, before Christ's sacrifice, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. If Jesus Christ has broken down all of the barriers that existed between people and opened up the gospel, the good news of faith, to all people, then never should we put up another wall. Not in front of ourselves and not in front of anyone else. Anyone, anyone, anyone can come to faith in Jesus Christ and be saved. And so maybe today for you, your decision is to say, I have been putting up a wall or other people have been putting up a wall around me and said that I couldn't, but I can. And so today, you are going to put your faith in Jesus Christ.
and believe that he died on the cross to pay for your sin and that he rose again on the third day. And today, you will be saved. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but because of your own fear or because of your own pride, you have created walls in front of people. Maybe there's someone that you know you're supposed to talk to about your faith, but you've created some sort of barrier, some sort of false barrier, and you say, no, I'm not gonna do that anymore. I'm gonna go directly to them and I'm gonna invite them to sit by the fire with me because I know they can sit down the same way that I sat down. I promise you, you did not have everything figured out before you came to faith in Jesus Christ. I did not have everything figured out before I came to faith in Jesus Christ. I put my faith in Jesus Christ and then he helped me figure things out. And so I wanna encourage you today, if you've created any walls, to tear them down and believe the truth and the simplicity of the gospel that anyone can be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. We all sit around this fire together. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and thank you. We thank you that you have made a way for all of us. And we thank you that it's not by our works because we are incapable of keeping all the rules. We're incapable of earning our way to you, being good enough or holy enough that you would accept us for that. And so Father, I thank you that salvation doesn't come by works of the law, but that it comes by faith. And that that is available to absolutely anybody who chooses to believe. So God, I pray that you move in our hearts to do what we cannot do, what I couldn't possibly do. Move in the hearts of everyone who is watching this video, who's listening to this today. For the decision you want them to make, whether that's the decision to put their faith in you for the first time, to cross that line and say, yes, I do believe and I trust Jesus for salvation whether that's a Christian who's allowed legalism to come up in their life, who's created barriers to people on the outside, whether that's to protect themselves or to put themselves up on a pedestal, or maybe they simply didn't know. But for the Christian to open their mind and take down those walls and understand that around this fire, around our faith, around the gospel, all are welcome, ground is level, and anybody is free to come and sit down with us. Open our minds to see you the way we should. And open our minds to see people the way that you do. It's in your name we pray. Amen.